Well, look what we have here, guys. Hadir Karim himself. Aiden, how are you doing, man? Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, I got to watch the interview they just recently did with Barry, and it was a lot of fun. So it was good to just see his face and reminisce about the making of, and uh, I'm happy to be here. He's a bit of a badass, isn't he, Barry? Oh, he's so cool. I, like, I can't help but like just try to imitate him on set sometimes <laughs> like, but like not like trying to like make fun of him but just like in awe be like oh fuck maybe i should walk that way or shit like do i need a bit more gruff in my voice like you know and uh you know he had all that weapons training uh from the sixth and when he worked on and so like just the way that thing sat on his body it was just so natural an extension of his hands and his arms and like that was definitely something i was like daily trying to emulate we we, had, we definitely had some training with mitch who um uh, as a former Marine and works on a lot of productions. And he was kind of like our onset coach, but um, just like watching hours and hours of just Barry maneuver the set with that, just being so casual for him. That was definitely something I was always trying to pick up and, and emulate. Hey, before we get into modern warfare, is it true that you turned down a, a high paying wall street job in finance to uh, go after these creative endeavors? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, yeah uh, <laughs> that's true. I, I uh, when I graduated out of college, I graduated with a finance degree, and um, I had uh, worked for J.P. Morgan um, in New York City uh, the summer before, and uh, yeah, they gave me an offer for full time employment, and uh, yes, uh, it, it's a weird period of my life. Like looking back now, I, I'm not sure exactly what the sensible conversations where I was having with myself that led me to that decision. But for some reason, all I can say is like something didn't feel right. Mm. And I felt like I had like all this energy in my early twenties and I wanted to apply it to some sort of a Hail Mary, um, you know, while I still had like my youth and my energy and uh, film and TV and, and, um, and, and plays were always something that meant a lot to me. And uh, I decided to turn that down and come to LA and, and try to pursue this for, at least at that time, I was thinking like short term, I'd give it a few years and see what happens. And I would always have my degree if I wanted to go back. But then uh, I ended up uh, taking that safety net away from myself and then fully pursuing it. So was that hard for you or was it an easy decision in retrospect? Um, I guess both. It was easy in the sense that, you know, when you're 21, 22, like, you know, you just feel like you're invincible and you have nothing but time. Uh, so in that respect, like I just felt like if, if it totally um, went to shit that I would be able to like pivot and do something else. Right. Um, but it was also hard just cause like, you know, I was like homeless for two and a half months living in my car. Uh, I lived in hostels for like a year and a half where it's like a room with like three bunk beds that you're, you know, sharing with various travelers. Um, I would, I, I have a British passport cause I was born in England. So like some places would only let foreigners stay there that like you couldn't stay in the hostels unless you had like a foreign passport. So like I would be doing various accents and stuff while I was like in the various hostels, just trying to like stay in there for more than a month. Um, and so, you know, that kind of, I can romanticize that and say that was like a lot of fun now, but like, you know, especially after like 10, 11 years of being in therapy, you just realize a lot of the like psychological damage you do to yourself, like putting yourself through that and like um, how it can be like rough for your self-esteem and, and things like that. Um, so yeah, to answer your question, both, both hard and both easy, I guess. If you don't mind ask, if I ask about that, how was that a period of two and a half years? Um, as you said, living out of a car and things like that, was that, it must've been tough on you in many respects. 
Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it's hard in the sense that like, you know, you don't go on any dates or, you know, like mm. think of yourself as like a, a viable option uh, in the dating pool. You know what I mean? <laughs> you do mm. tend to beat yourself up or like say like the, not the nicest things to yourself, you know, about your self-worth and, um, and, and things like that. So, so that's stuff is rough, but there's also just like a sense of adventure to it too. So mm. it's, it can be both of those things, you know, it can be like terribly depressing, but at the same time, like, you know, you do like wake up and like, you know, it's like, okay, like I don't have much, but I have possibility and opportunity, you know, like I'm, you know, there was like one road in West Hollywood where some guy, I, I guess his name was Manny because the Wi-Fi that I would steal was like Manny's Wi-Fi and I would just like park in front of his house and with my laptop, go on his Wi-Fi and then go on all the acting websites and start submitting myself for like short films or student films and things like that. Um, you know, and there's something kind of exciting about that because, you know, someone would walk by and you quickly hide your laptop because it like looks sketchy, you know. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, like like that stuff, you know, it's exciting in the time. But like, you know, in the evenings when you're like by yourself and you're just trying to park next to like a porta potty of like a house under construction just so you have somewhere to go pee if you have to pee in the middle of the night like that stuff can beat you down and and make you feel pretty low at, at times as well so yeah it's, it's so, a mix of both it's uh yeah do you still go to therapy now to this day yeah yeah i'm uh i'm a, I'm a big uh proponent of of therapy like uh uh, I just I just like the idea of having a place where I can like unload my shit on someone else yeah. as opposed to a friend who I think would be too much of a burden to. Uh, yeah. And and sometimes too, like, you know, I'm, I'll, I'll have like good months where like nothing's bothering me. And it's like a nice place to do like an inventory of the things I'm grateful for, you know, because, uh, you know, life is just, a, you know, a series of ups and downs and peaks and valleys. Right. And so when you're at your peak, I think it's good to kind of take inventory of the things that you know, you're grateful for that maybe, you know, you didn't have just a few months prior, or a few years prior, and that can like really benefit your happiness too. So, yeah. Do you remember when you got out of that situation of homelessness and how, what that feeling was like when you finally started to get the ball rolling? Yeah. I mean, it was, it, it's a bit of a ramp up. Like, um, so like, you know, my, my first place that I lived in right after being homeless uh, was like this really tiny studio apartment with two other guys and uh, it was like 600 bucks a month that we split three ways. Actors then, like, as well? Uh, yeah, one was a writer and one was a musician. Mm. And, uh, you know, we we took two mattresses out of the dumpster and we found a couch out of the dumpster. And then we got like Lysol antibacterial spray. And we just sprayed them like with three bottles, like as much as we could. And then like the the couch was the second most comfortable there was one nice mattress that was super comfortable and then there was one mattress that was shit and we would take turns rotating between the furniture each night so that like everyone got like a little bit of all of it so like you know like I, getting out of being homeless you know and that being my first situation you're still feeling like that like yeah it's uh, still a bit shit, i gotta make something happen kind of like you're not really resting on your laurels and thinking like you've made it out of it you know and so even after that, I went and um, I lived with um, this guy who was a doorman at this bar that I got like a bar backing job of. And um, he mostly worked at the bar just to uh, show on paper that he legally had some like cash coming, money coming in, but he really was making his living as a drug dealer. And um, he wow. uh, he found out what I the where how I was living in in this <laughs> in this silly in this studio with two other people, and he felt bad for me. And he had a two bedroom apartment 
with a bedroom that was just completely empty. And so he let me stay in that room for uh, a while uh, um, for the same price that I was paying for the studio. And so I was living with him for a bit, but unfortunately he, um, he had gotten busted for selling drugs, I guess, like a year prior and was under probation. And so there's like two times in a matter of like nine months that the cops raided the place uh, just because you, when you're on probation, they can just come in and raid your uh, like domicile just to make sure that you're not doing anything sketchy that you said you weren't going to be doing anymore. So, you know, like my entire room would be like completely like flipped over and like looking for drugs. And I'd be like handcuffed in the hallway, just like waiting for them to finish at like four or five in the morning. Um, so, you know, that was after the studio. I lived like that. And then eventually I like started renting out some like couches off of like Craigslist that I would find like uh, people like renting their couches. Um, so it was even after I was like homeless, it was still like a good year and a half of like, you know, kind of shady, tricky living situations until I got like into a comfortable um, spot. Yeah. Was there a job that pulled you out of that specifically or was it a flow on yeah, effect? I, I mean, I, I wish I could say it was an acting job, but no, it was uh, I. So um yeah, I, I started, I went to a bartending school and I uh, like basically just like put it all on a credit card. You know, I didn't have any money at the time, but I, I put like a, a a bartending training on a credit card. And then, um, you know, it was like a, a course that usually takes a month to finish, but I just doubled up and I was doing like nine hours a day and mm. then finished and passed it in two weeks. And then from that, I was able to get like a bartending job. And then from that point on, I started making a little bit of money where I could like just like rent my own room in like a house or an apartment or something like that. And so, you know, I'm not rich, but it was definitely a game changer just to have like privacy and I could like close the door, you know, and it'd be mine. Mm. Like I had that with the drug dealer situation, but then like getting raided all the time, even when you close your door, you're fully aware that like someone could fucking come in and just open that door with a gun in their hands. Yeah. Sorry, I shouldn't uh, be laughing, but. No, it's no, crazy I, can story. Laugh at it. I can laugh at it now too, for sure. Uh, uh, so laugh away, but, um, but yeah, it was just like, I got to do like bartending and that gave me some financial freedom. Uh, Cause you know, I didn't, I didn't um, really like study like acting in college at that time. So I was, uh, you know, just trying to get experience really like working on like shorts and student films while I was like taking acting classes and stuff like that. And then when I did get fortunate and book some jobs, I was just like, mostly losing money on those jobs, just like putting all that money, uh, mm. initially I use my credit cards to like pay for coaching and things like that, just so I could do a good enough job on that job that I was lucky enough to get, and then be able to have good footage that I could use that as like a reel so I could submit to agents and, 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 and possibly get more work in the future. Is there a specific thing you did with your acting to land these bigger roles? Was it, was it timing? Was it luck? Was it persistence, you know, was, was there anything that you can attribute to, you know, things coming your way? Um, yeah, I mean, not to sound cliche, but it's just, uh, you know. Uh, Besides the raw talent, but yeah. <laughs> very nice. uh, no, I, I, but, you know, you, I'm sure you've heard of it, right? Luck is just when opportunity meets preparation, right? Mm -hmm. And so, like, um, you know, what made me fall in love with acting was really plays um, and and reading plays and being introduced to plays. And um, through that came like a hunger to read lots of plays and get to like work on plays. And so that led me to a bunch of like different schools in LA where you could take classes and like do scene study. And then that led me into uh, like, again, 
think I feel like I'm I'm doing a commercial for credit cards, but I would use my credit <laughs> cards to uh, pay for production. So I would do like one month productions that I would just like throw on a credit card. And the main reason I would do that though was um, because in a scene study class, you only get to do one little scene of a play. And what ends up happening if you're not careful is um, in your subconscious, you'll start trying to play the entire arc of that character in that story in that one scene. And that doesn't really do service to that scene. And you really need to, to for, for a learning process to like actually play a character from beginning to end throughout an entire piece uh, to kind of know and, and learn how to arc a story, how to arc a character. And so I knew that I wasn't getting that. And so I started just like funding plays on my own and like asking actor friends to like rehearse for free and be in these plays for free and then director friends and just trying to figure out people who I knew would get something out of it too, even though they weren't being financially compensated. And so I did that like six or seven times, just like financing productions and putting up plays of myself just to get that experience. And so to go back to answering your question, it was really through those scene study classes and like putting plays of, of my own. And then I eventually went into producing my own short films and feature films. And I think through that wealth of experience that like, you know, on top of getting lucky uh, and getting some opportunities that eventually things started falling into place for me a bit more. So you're a theater, a big theater uh, fan. What about a modern warfare play? <laughs> How do you think yeah, that would yeah. translate? You think that would work? I, 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 I think you're asking a little bit jokingly, but I think like, <laughs> especially like the game that I got to be in, um, I, like when we first started in 2018, um, it was very much the same time that like the civil war in Syria was happening. And uh, there was like, um, you know, ISIS and, and, and or ISIL, however you want to term it, uh, was really prominent. And um, there's just a lot of conflict in the Middle East. And I, you could tell the writers of Brian was really trying to, um, in a fictitious way within the modern warfare story, um, try to show all the nuance and 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 how complicated that situation was, which is not necessarily something that you get from mainstream media all the time. And so what I thought was really beautiful was that, um, you know, as, as someone who like loves plays, I love plays because they have so much social commentary about, you know, our, our, our micro lives, but also like the macro world, you know, on a large scale. And so I, I just felt so privileged getting to be a part of a story with Modern Warfare, where I felt like someone could be playing the campaign and hopefully, you know, whether they're aware of it or not, they're, they're starting to get an appreciation for all the nuance that goes into like a geopolitical conflict like that. So hopefully, you know, if they're watching the news or reading about the news, and maybe they're only getting it from a perspective that's trying to make it very black and white, maybe their instinct goes like, mm, I think it's a little more complicated than that. And so going to your, you know, question about a play, like, you know, there are plays, especially like now, I, I, I've been auditioning for a few more of them because of the strike and everything. Um, like I'm noticing there, there are plays trying to tackle some of this subject matter, specifically in the Middle East and geopolitical issues that are going on over there. So for sure. Yeah. If you could, is it, would you be able to explain the strike to people that might not know about it in the basic terms is fine, but, and, and how it affects you maybe. Sure. Um, so to look at it from a macro perspective, mm. um, anytime there's an introduction of, of new technology within our industry, but you could make this argument for all industries, right? It really just does change the variables in um, how the profit structures work, right? 
And so this happened during um, like the advent of like DVD and DVD sales and, and home video sales and stuff. And um, there were threats of strikes and strikes during that period to like figure out how these financial models were going to change. And so I don't think this is any different today when it comes with streaming, because that really has changed how the um, how the financial models work. And so what has happened from an actor's perspective is that uh, when things were just on network television and being sold to, you know, internationally to, to networks, you know, across the world, um, there was a residual like profit structure that actors could benefit from. Uh, by having something go into syndication. And so every time something played and a network would be able to make commercial dollars, then there would be like a, a pretty significant amount of money that would trickle down back to the actor. For example, like Jennifer Aniston and Friends would still be getting residuals. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. And so now with the advent of these streaming platforms, um, that has gone away and the models that uh, the studios and, and these network and there's these platforms, I should say, have put forward hasn't been able to compensate actors in any sort of comparable way of the way they were being compensated on this like network TV model. And so actors are finding themselves doing the same exact amount of work that they would do for Netflix that they would do for like a CBS or ABC, right? And they're doing the same amount of hours of work, but what they're noticing is that the same amount of people are watching it on streaming as they would have watched it on like a network TV platform. Right, but they're not getting any residuals that are comparable to one another. And so, for the same amount of work and for the same amount of eyeballs on their work, they're not bringing home nearly as much money or even comparable, like a dollar amount. Um, so, a part of it is about that. A part of it is that inflation has affected, you know, our buying power with our dollars, and so we want just like our, you know, normal day rates or our standard rates for certain things to also uh, accommodate for that uh, for inflation so there's that and then um there's also the advent of uh, artificial intelligence and how um they can basically you see we saw like really the uh, the beginning of this with with modern warfare and the scanning technology and how uh like incredible it, it, it's become and how um but they don't own your likeness do they no no not in that way but just knowing that that technology is out there um you're noticing mm. it a lot extras like for extra background uh background workers specifically like they could just scan take your likeness and yeah, then just yeah. in perpetuity right and so there's no protections with that right now and right that now that seems I, crazy I, by the way i mean that's it is. well the, the studios when they argue back and, and they say like we would never do anything to take advantage of you like that uh, right. you trust us and uh our union's response has been absolutely not like there's, <laughs> like, there's yeah trust yeah well it's just Anytime that there's like, you know, an entity that is beholden to shareholders, you just have to expect that they're going to do everything they can to make sure to take care of their shareholders at, um, you know, the disadvantage of the employees that work for them. But I, I, I hear like you can definitely tell in the U.S. when you go to a grocery store that is not traded on the stock market versus one that is, uh, the employee like happiness is so like jarringly different and you can tell it within an instance. You know, and so I don't think any of that's different, you know, with, you know, any of these other businesses that we kind of work in. Mm. Thank you for explaining that for anyone that didn't know. And do you see an outcome happening in the next few weeks or this year or what? How, where do you see it going? Yeah, I, I don't. I, I think for the unfortunately, as far as um, like TV and film on those specific networks go, I think this entire year we have to just basically scratch it. Wow. Um, I, really? Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm hearing. That's what my guess is. Um, just because there doesn't seem to be really much humility on the side of the studios to think that, um, you know, what where, where we are right now is as bad as it is. They, they think that like we're being a bit preposterous in our demands. And so, and on their end, not to play devil's advocate, but, you know, they have created a model for themselves that's not extremely sustainable, you know, like for Disney, it's like six bucks a month and you get access to this much content. Mm. Right. But the expectation of like all this new content always being constantly created. Right. Like that is a pretty low price point. Right. For that much hours of like new content all the time. Right. Mm. And like, yes, you know, they have a lot of fat cats getting paid over there. Right. But them just thinking long term into the future, like they're probably going to have to shuffle some things around. Right. With like what if, if they want to continue getting compensated personally the way that they are, which I imagine they are like, that's the last, last thing that ever goes in a corporate structure. Right. Then they, if they want to create as much content as they currently are, they're probably going to have to change some things on their price points as well. And they know that that's going to have some pretty bad backlash. Like if Disney goes from six bucks a month to 15 bucks a month, that's going to have an effect. Yeah. Well, we saw Netflix. They got rid of the, the password and they've put yeah. price hikes up all the time. They still yeah. seem to be going all right. So they do, they do, but <laughs> they've also like, if you look like uh, they've they kind of haven't met expectations as much as they thought in the last like few quarters, and they're seeing a slowdown in growth. Mm. But it's also just like a lot of it's just you know when you watch how the market like fluctuates. Like if a company the prior quarter grows three percent, and then in the current quarter they grow two percent, that is justification enough for a stock price to completely plummet. Sometimes you know it's still growing. Just it didn't grow at the same exact like at the same rate as the you know quarter before, but it was still growth. And so when you're dealing with such a fickle kind of animal as the market in such a situation, right? Then like any sort of these moves get really sensitive and really hard for them to do. And if they can take advantage of an actor contract that is like obsolete and compensating them, they're absolutely going to do that right off the bat. So, so what's it like in the gaming world? Does any of this affect that side of things, or is that? It does not. That's the great thing. So right. gaming, we're, we're kind of isolated and uh, we're good. Um, also like voiceover gaming, mocap gaming falls into that. And then um, we're also going to probably see like uh, a lot of uh, independent production companies right now. Uh, they can continue creating uh, content and like films and things like that. So there's going to be these waivers that are going to start getting. Yeah, like you're doing a short. Uh, yeah, you're directing and writing a short. If I'm not mistaken. Um, I did already. I did. Oh, already. you did already. Okay. So cool. that was last October that I did that. But, uh, but yeah, like product short films like that, they can still get waivers with the uh, with the actors union and still do work. Um, so I think you're going to see a lot of independent things. I think it will get tricky because those independent production houses are going to look for places to sell it to. So where that gets sold and how that gets sold, I'm not sure has been completely figured out, but I do know from a couple of agents and managers I've spoken to that uh, the waivers are being applied for, for next week um, to be able to like make independently produced stuff. As long as it doesn't have anything to do with the, the, the streaming platforms and those studios, then it's fine. Do you see bigger actors, you know, coming over to gaming in the next few years? Is that a possibility? You know, like we've seen Giancarlo Esposito come over and Mad Mickelson and a bunch of yeah. different, you know, big, when I say big, I mean, you know, quite famous actors. Um, do you see that happening or, or what? I mean, I think you could make an argument that it already has, right? I mean, Kit Harrington. Yeah. 
Call of Duty, Kevin Spacey, I think, was one at one time. I mean, uh, do you think it'll ramp up the because of this strike or not really? Oh, in that sense. Um, yeah. I, I think that's a little above my pay grade. I'm not sure, to be honest. Um, mm. I, don't, I don't see why only in this sense that, like, if there's not work out there and the compensation for these video games are, like, very competitive, right, then I don't see why they wouldn't. Um, maybe an older actor who would have a real hard time with the um, the mocap kind of technique because it, it is a bit of a learning curve for sure. Um, but you know, they, they you know the, the video game companies have more money than God because they're more profitable than most studios are, right? And 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 they're you know how video games compare with films, and so they definitely have the money to give budgets. But I I don't know how much it's like worth it for the video games to be honest because a lot of times. The commodity mm. that is selling it is the game. It's not necessarily. They don't need the actor. Totally. I mean, it's honestly, I think that's the main reason I personally have had any luck working with the type of talent I get to work with in these video games. Because when it comes to TV and film, it's a lot more political, right? So, like, uh, there's so many opportunities I don't even get to audition for just because my resume, right, doesn't already have certain types of credits on it. But in video games, they don't give a shit, right? It's it's way more of a meritocracy, right? And so, like, you know, I, I look at my other castmates and it's like, you know, most of them have a lot more TV and film experience for me. But because we're in a video game platform, like, I feel really lucky. I, I get to, like, work with them, play with them um, and it, as if we were. And, you know, a lot of that work on a mocap stage is really similar to theater, you know, mm. like we rehearse it a bunch, we rehearse it a bunch, and then they just press a button and then we just do one more rehearsal basically and it's recorded, right? And so like for me, I really feel like I'm in a stage rehearsal with these guys. And so, you know, getting to work with talent like Claudia and Barry and, uh, you know, Chad and Elliot, like, and get to have those be like my playmates for like two, three, four years, like as if I was like on a TV show, I feel so grateful and lucky just because like my resume and TV and film just isn't at the place yet where I would get to do that with them on TV and film. Like I don't really get into those rooms, unfortunately. So your first motion capture video game was Dead Rising 3. Is that correct? That is correct. Yeah. What do you remember from that one? Because that's your first time doing it. Yeah. How did you, were you nervous? Were you excited? All the above? Yeah. I mean, I, I think I was lucky in the sense that it was a, a pretty small part in that. And, um, but the, the, the audition process was all the same as if like it was any TV or film audition, right? It's, it's all very similar. Um, so from that aspect, I wasn't nervous. And then, um, Tom uh, Keegan, I believe is his name. Yeah. Tom, uh, he, uh, was the director of that. And, um, he had directed a ton of games prior to Dead Rising 3. I hear his and, name in every interview. Oh, do you really? Okay, yeah, okay, I yeah. really do. This guy is he's, he's royalty. <laughs> he really is. And so because I knew he had such a wealth of experience, I just trusted that if he thought I could do it, then I probably could do it. And it was one day of work. And so I think I was like, how bad could I muck it up really? You know, so <laughs> worst case, they could just cut me out. And so the pressure was off in that sense too. And then, yeah, it was, you know, it's all just the small things on that experience. Like the, the spandex was weird. The dots were weird. Uh, putting the helmet on, like all that felt really interesting and weird and having to 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 just get used to it a bit and then just like you know you usually have the ability to look an actor like completely like in their face or in their eyes and you have this helmet thing kind of blocking that so and, you know it just took a little bit of getting used to um but but yeah it was it was lovely man i it was lovely in the sense that we were in the studio i believe that also shot avatar so getting to see like 
oh crap, this is where they made that movie that I love so much. And like, just knowing like the type of technology you're dealing with, um, that was really great. Um, but yeah, I loved it, man. Everyone was really sweet. And I've seen some of those actors since then too. Oh, cool. And then a few years later, you booked Call of Duty. Now, I believe you didn't even know it was COD when you'd accepted the role. So when yeah. do you find out that you're doing Modern Warfare reboot? You're a pivotal character. I mean, I know you're not a gamer, but you must have known that IP. Yeah, yeah. No, he totally knew the IP for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, it was like really like a, I think it was like I did the scan and I still didn't know what it was. And then, um, yeah, I think we were all just like sitting in like the cafeteria table. And then they were like, okay, guys, this is what's up. And then I thought that was really cool. And then I knew very early on what the arc for Hadir was and who he was in like the mythology. Um, they like told me like, that you know, who he becomes and how he's like a character, you know, that has been known about in the lore for a long time. Uh, that didn't mean anything to me at the time. So that's kind of where I was like probably um, having a bit of a disconnect where I just like, oh, okay, cool. Like he becomes this bad guy. Got it. Uh, and they were like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like he becomes like, like one of the bad guys. So like looking, so, you know, thank God for YouTube. Um, Cause that allows me to kind of do a little research and kind of see what's come before me and kind of give me a fertile ground to try to like start from. Yeah. Is it Brian Bloom that's explaining explaining this all to you or? Yes. Yeah. Brian and, and Taylor yeah. on the first game. And then on the second game, it was Brian and uh, Jeff who, um, you know, like they're all, all of them, their passion is so contagious, man. Like when you're just around them and they're so excited to tell you about these characters, they've spent so many hours thinking about, and then, um, you know, also just like what they're trying to do, especially again, like that first one, it was like right adjacent to when all that conflict in the Middle East was go like just beginning in Syria and like what they were trying to do as far as like tell something similar and create all this nuance so that people could experience that nuance in this way that storytelling hadn't really been able to like provide in like TV and film. And so just being around them, like you just get excited and you get invested from hearing them talk about it in that way. And, um, you know, even though I don't have the background in COD and, and like knowing all this stuff, like I knew what they were trying to do and what story they were trying to tell. And so that got me invested right away. There's such a distinct tone to the game that I haven't seen matched by any other game since or before it. There's this unnerving feeling, this, I, don't, I can't put my finger on it. Can you? I mean, there's something about the way the storytelling and the, just yeah, the feeling. So I've like worked on a bunch of games since Call of Duty. Like I worked on Halo. I worked on Final Fantasy. I worked on the latest Final of... Fantasy. Or yeah, yeah. I don't. Has yeah. it come out yet? I, I don't, I have no yeah, idea. it has. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Sixteen. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. Good. Yeah. There we go. So yeah, I should probably update my resume then. Finally. <laughs> um, but but yeah, like you know, and, and all those games are fun and, and great. But there's just like a a scale like an epic scale that cod always had that i never experienced in all the other games like as if we were like doing something of consequence you know um i think the the relationships feel a lot more grounded in our mm -hmm. game in cod versus all the other games and so when yeah. they're so grounded and so much time and care is put in these like relationships between the characters and the other thing it does i think we do with cod that i haven't seen with other um commodities that i've worked with is that like there's a there's kind of a complexity to them. There's a um, like 
they they suggest there's like for example with um uh with Alex and like Farah's character right played by, by Chad and 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 uh Claudia um like you know are they dating is there something romantic I don't know right but like there's sometimes like these like little suggestive things that like maybe it's more than just a partnership and it like they do just enough to like plant a seed to like make you wonder but then they don't try to spoon feed you anything right and so like you're just having like your own experience of like are they are they not like what is it you know as you're going on and doing these battles and I love that because it, it allows you to get more engaged in trying to like figure out and explore what these relationships are and so I think that just grounds it all while all these other games I've kind of played uh, or sorry, worked on, like everything's a little bit more spoon fed and on the nose. And it's more about like the explosions and kind of like the um, the special effects things that they like have access to. And so that becomes more at the forefront. Um, I, I guess like one way to maybe uh, to put it in movie terms where I can understand it, like, you know, both Michael Bay and Chris Nolan make big, big, big budget films. Right. But like with Chris Nolan, there's like a texture and there's like a grounded storytelling always a part of it. Intimacy. Right? Yeah intimacy right and i feel that's like what call of duty is and like michael bay is kind of like my experience with like halo where it's the same type of like quality of explosiveness and it's a great analogy yeah you know what i mean and so um so yeah and you know who's to say like what's better i'm not trying to say one's better than the other you know like you sometimes maybe what you want is like the like less nuance and you like you know you've had a hard day at work or a hard week at work and you just want something a bit more mindless and like less engaging but you know so that's those are always out there for that audience but from my understanding you probably know better than me when it came into the video game world no one had really come in and create like such a nuanced like complex like storytelling within their campaign modes like cod did yeah as i said i mean there's, there's some great storytelling in games but th this game especially that first one, there was something about, as you said, the groundedness or I don't know what it was, but I mean, do you think Hadir approves of the Alex Farah relationship if they are, yeah. if they are, um, are indeed an item? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I think ultimately no, just because <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to, uh, you know, Hadir is working so hard just to get Farah to uh, kind of see like his worldview and like how he feels that like independence for Urzikstan could possibly happen. Right. And like, they mm. really butt heads on that. And so just knowing that Alex is very much like pushing her the other way or, or, or seeing the world another way, I, I find that probably Hadir feels like his influence on her was counterproductive and like ultimately like how he wants to like gain independence back for their country. So. We've had Claudia on the show. She's awesome. But I want to know, did you have instant chemistry with her or did it take a few days? Because every scene, you guys, brother and sister, just brilliant. Uh, thanks so much for saying that, man. Um, well, let me just say she's like just a joy to work with. Um, she's so talented. She's always so prepared. She's just lovely to hang out with. Um, so that just like makes having chemistry together, I think a lot easier when you just have like such like an just awesome person to just like be around all the time and get to work with on a daily basis. So, um, yeah, I mean, you know, maybe her answer is different, but for me, it's she said she hated different. you, man. I, oh, I don't man. know why. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. All the money I, I, I gave her on the side to say nice things, I guess. Um, yeah. Mm. So, you know, I, 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 I would like to think she would say the same thing, but yeah, man, that part was really easy with her, man. She was just so easy and so collaborative and, um, 
you know, we, we just had really great leadership with the writers and directors that we had on the game. So we just like, I think that's a big part of it too. Like when you both just feel really comfortable and supported with like the higher, um, the higher ups and then um, having someone that's just like really pleasant to be around, really talented, always prepared. Um, then the other stuff usually comes pretty easily. Who was, who was the funniest on a set? Cause I feel like it is a very serious game, but I yeah. feel like you guys had a lot of fun behind the scenes as well yeah yeah we um i <laughs> yeah we had a blast it was a lot of that i mean the, the thing you have to keep in mind too is like you know i yeah i worked as much tv and film as some of the other uh actors on it but i've worked enough to like know that like a lot of those um like network shows and like films with bigger budgets like time is money man and it's like everyone's yeah. a little tense everyone's a little on edge like not just the actors but like all the crew all the uh, people behind the scenes, like, you know, they, they very much are feeling the time money pressure all the time. And so that definitely trickles down, right? With video games, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, if something's not going to be ready, they'll just fucking push the thing a month and just have no problem. <laughs> you're right. doing it. I mean, you kind of like, right. You know, yeah. I mean, there's not like these <laughs> slot weekends that something has to come out or like with TV, yeah. like, uh, a certain day that an episode is scheduled to air and advertisers have been like booked up for, you know, there's none of that with games. Like a lot of times, like, you know, they'll just be like, oh yeah, it'll be summer of this year. And then be like, okay, it's going to be fall. And so when you take that time money pressure off, right? Like everyone's just fucking happier at work. You know, like I've never seen everyone, anyone's everyone smiles so much on a set than I do when I go on a mocap stage, right? Like everyone's well, and the food's always way better. Like I've never been on a set where you have more options for fucking lunch than like on Call of Duty. Like they'd be like, hey, this menu, this other restaurant, check this menu out. Or here's the third menu. And like, you know, it just, there's this uh, one of the producers, Graham on, on Call of Duty, you'd have like, like cheese plates for us at lunch, you know? It was like just yeah. five different cheeses with strut, you know, it's just like you're in heaven, basically, is what I'm trying to say. And so everyone's really happy and like um it's just such an easy set to be on. And you only have to work on a TV set like one day to realize like, oh, how lucky we are and how with how jovial and happy and grateful everyone is around you. I think where the time pressures come in for not all games, but some games are probably some of the developers hitting certain milestones. That's probably where the biggest pressure is. But from an acting sense and that sort of sense, it's, yeah, you're right. It's a lot different, isn't it? <laughs> it's, yeah. it's night and day. I, I want to talk to you about the betrayal scene from Modern Warfare 2019. I found that to be one of the best scenes in the game. What do you remember about shooting that scene and the importance of that scene within the story? Yeah, I mean... It, I, as far as like how it's written and like what's in the story, I again, it goes back to that thing I was saying with like the nuance in it, right? Like I think, you know, a, a, a an inferior, more two-dimensional story would just be like good guys, bad guys, and that's it, right? But with our story, you know, and as there is like, you know, you, we're constantly seeing all these declassified documents of like the CIA and like what they did in like South America and some of what they did in Afghanistan, you know? And and you really see like there's all this like nuance and shades of gray and really sketchy things, you know, that have occurred that the CIA has had a hand in. And so, of course, you know, when Alex, who's like former CIA, I believe, is coming and is like trying to be, quote, helpful, you know, to our people and our cause, like it, someone should be sketched out and be questioning things, you know, like as handsome and charming as Chad is <laughs> and his, <laughs> you know, you'd still be like, I don't know, uh. mother 
like <laughs> I had the internet and like I know what your organization has done in the last 30, 40 years. <laughs> there should be someone who's like at least a little sketched out by it. And then also the fact that like, you know, we're seeing it really with like what's going on in, in Ukraine as well, where it's like constantly like you have people like anti it up with these like ballistic missiles and stuff that like we have said were war crimes to use, but now they're being used, you know, and things like that. And so, you know, that kind of takes place in our game too, where it's like Farah really believes that like, I, you know, Hadir is going too far with the type of warfare that he's like willing to participate in while, you know, Hadir believes like this is the only way for enemies fighting with this. Like we have to meet them there. They're not going to have any empathy for us for taking some sort of moral high ground, you know? And so I think that's like a, a very real conflict that like you can see that's happening geopolitically, a lot of conflicts today and in the past. And so I really, um, I, I felt like honored to be able to be a part of something like that that tells a story like that. But I also um, really applauded our writers and, and storytellers and directors in, in like wanting that to be like an important caveat, an important um, additional complexity to like what our story was trying to do. Um, as far as um, filming it goes, though, um, yeah, you know, it, 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 we're so well prepared prior in the sense that like we would show up. We would get like the first thing that would happen is like the the Brian and the um and, and Jeff and Taylor would sit with us and like just go over everything that has been told up until that point, right? Just to catch us up because sometimes we would film, we'd go away for a month and a half, then come back, film a few more days, go away for another month. So they would catch us up and we would feel really grounded in the story up until this point again and get our, our feet wet a little bit. And then we would go over the scenes, we'd read them out loud. And like Brian is so great at like, you know, he'll stop, start as we're reading through and just like really make sure we understand the complexity of each line or if there's like a reference to something from the past or a reference to something that's going to happen. He'll slow things down and really talk to us and make sure that we like understand like all the subtext and the meaning behind words and certain um, things that are like like triggers or whatnot. And so um, as, as it went with filming him, like I felt like very prepared just always having Brian um, uh, with us just to make sure if like I was like, quickly going over something that had more value than I was giving it, like he would always be there to explain it to me. So, uh, you know, those scenes is like with all any of the scenes we were filming, um, they kind of felt the same, but in a good way in that in, in that respect. And when you're playing your younger self, does anything change with the performance? Do you, yeah. or do you just try and play it as natural as possible? Because you're not that much younger, but, you know, how do you... Yeah, yeah. Um, I definitely played with my voice a little bit just to make it a little bit lighter and a little bit higher. Um, I noticed that. Yeah. Yeah. Which for me is easy because like, I feel like my, my voice naturally is like kind of high and like is a little excitable high kind of like where I live, you know? And so like I was going deeper for Hadir as it was. And so I just kind of like went a little bit closer to like my natural voice for it. And then, um, yeah, like the main thing that there's just like a bit of like a, a naivete and a, a like a lack of weatheredness that like mm. the young player has that like you know he doesn't have anymore because of just like having gone through the shit of it for like a decade plus you know when we first meet him at the beginning of the game um you know not in the flashback so do you see him as more of a hero or villain i know we don't like to throw around the word villain yeah, yeah. uh they're more misunderstood but Sure. How would where because you you play the character, so I'm curious where you stand on it. Yeah, um, yeah, I definitely don't see him as a villain. I I see him as um, I see him as principled. I see him as realistic, to be honest. Um, you know, like 
please pick any sort of uh, uh, international conflict where the CIA has been involved and, you know, a party that thought they were getting one thing wasn't ultimately given something different than what they were promised, you know? Um, if you can find me where that, like a situation where that wasn't the case, um, I would applaud you because I have tried. And um, because of that, it's really hard for me to like point to Hadir and really say, oh, he's like a clear antagonist. Like he's a bad guy. Um, I think that like the points that he makes makes a lot of sense. Um, I think the points that he makes really um, uh, points to uh, like how brutal war is and, and some of the lengths that we have to go. I mean, you know, even, you know, when you look at World War II, some of the bombing that was done in Japan um, before the, the nukes were like dropped or whatever, like some of those are just like, were just civilian casualties, just plain and simple, like so many villages that like had no sort of attachment to anything military at all. were just being decimated. We're talking about like tens and tens of thousands of people like killed. And like, you know, to this day, when we look back at that war, we're very much like, oh, that was like the last just war. Right. And even those things like have such like just senseless casualties. And so, you know, going back to Hadir, like, I think he really fully understands that, like, yeah, some innocent people are going to have to get hurt, but that's just the cost of doing business if we want to get independence our way versus the way that, like, these other foreign um, identities, these foreign, um, uh, like, spy agencies are ultimately going to take us to, like, that that's going to be a shakier ground to be on, ultimately, because of the past and history of them intervening in other regions of the world. I think that's got more of a risk than like our way, regardless of the consequences. And coming back for the raid and the second game, how was that? You must have been elated to come back, join the gang. Although, yeah, spoilers, guys. Uh, the, the ending might not be one you were happy to see, but... Yeah, yeah. Well, it was <laughs> definitely my first time like playing a character and then like no one gives me any heads up and I'm just getting the scripts. And I'm just like what he checks his pulse there's no pulse what what do you mean like <laughs> yeah like that was very much like it was definitely one where i was like no no no, i didn't read that right you know just like going back <laughs> and then uh yeah so um uh... yeah that was uh you know it, it ultimately i knew it had to come eventually right because if you're playing someone who's an antagonist by by definition like either the game ends or you know he ends up being dealt with and you know, the, the, the main central characters continue to move forward. So I knew it had to come at some point. Um, but like, I ultimately, I really loved like how it was all handled in the sense like that last conversation in the elevator with Farah, you know, like ultimately their philosophical differences um, are, are highlighted once again. And then there's also in that scene, again, beautifully written by Brian, but in that, in that scene, you have their philosophical differences, but you also have the deep love that he has for her mm. uh, in as well, which I thought was very appropriate because um, it reminds us that regardless of their differences for Hadir, that aspect never wavered. Um, so it was sad. I I was very emotional on that last day and I, I definitely cried just because like, you know, it's like five years of my life. I had been like in and out going into that studio and, um, you know, that that job symbolically for me was a big deal. Like I, I remember telling, telling Taylor, um, uh, the director, this was like, when I think of Call of Duty, I think like you know, it was like the first time I could afford like adult furniture. Like I bought a bed frame with the money I made on that first Call of Duty. While prior to that, I was always like a mattress box spring on the floor kind of guy, you know, and I had bed frames and like, 
um you know i got like like furniture for a living room but like new not like used off of like something from back here. so like it felt like that job really um afforded me this like pathway into adulthood just from an optic standpoint <laughs> and you know the, it sounds silly but no, you know, no. I got that job like early in my 30s. So, like it, it just felt like it really afforded me some things that like made me feel like on stronger footing and like grounded as like a man. And, um, you know, I, and I, again, just like feeling so lucky to get to work with that cast. And, and, and you know, I, I constantly struggle with like insecurities as far as like jobs I don't get and stuff and wondering like, oh, am I good enough to work those jobs? I don't, you know, like sometimes after hundreds of rejections, you know, you start questioning yourself. And that job was always a reminder for me just because of the caliber of talent I got to always work with, you know, and not, not just like the main guy, like, you know, we had Lamont Garrett who came in for like a couple days and I got to do a scene with him, which was like, you know, and I fucking love watching that guy on TV, man. Like I fucking <laughs> love working with him. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And so like, but like that platform, that game gave me the opportunity to like work with these guys and be equals with them. And like, really like just gave me some validation that at times you're desperately in need of when you're going through so much rejection. So. Dude, I love that final scene with you and Claudia with Farrah yeah. and the yeah. you can see the tears in yeah. her eyes as well as yours, man. Yeah. Yeah. Like put the, I don't know if that was like that when you were shooting it, but it's so realistic as well. And it's just, you get transported. Uh, thank you for saying that, man. We, um, yeah, we worked really hard on that scene. We talked a lot about that scene um, and like how we wanted to bookend this like journey of these two characters. Um, and so, yeah, I'm, I'm glad it came. But yeah, it was an emotional day on scene, not just because it was going to be like my last day working with those guys, but also just like, you know, this character that I was like fortunate to have the responsibility of playing, you know, and and having to you know ended on you know the terms that like we felt was like appropriate for like a character that had so much gravitas within that like uh story structure was it was it fun though just coming back in general and and kicking it with the guys and i know oh, there was it, only a few scenes but it must have been fun yeah man it was a blast i mean again it's just like you realize every time you step foot on that stage with that crew and those actors like how like fortunate you are to get to go to work there just because of like how positive it is, how like fun it is, how like everyone is just, just such a delight to be around. Like um, I, I felt very lucky to get to go to work there, whether we were shooting like during the first one or the second one, like it, nothing had changed as far as just like the energy and like the sprightly spirit that exists uh, in that stage. So yeah. And just like, you know, like um, uh, Claudia had booked or had found out she had booked the boys while on the video game job on the call on call of duty the first one um and so um you know just being excited for her, like in the first game and then like getting to watch the show become a fan of the show and then get to see her uh while working together on the second game and getting to like chat about it and like so you know like you, you can't help but like be so proud of her and like happy for her and like just like really admire the work she's like done on it and stuff and get to chat with her like all that stuff such a treat and what was her reaction like when she did get it? Do you remember? Well, we didn't know like exactly. Um, well, yeah, the first season had come out. She, we didn't know exactly what her part was going to be. Ah, okay. It's like, I think they were keeping her in the dark a little bit about it. Right. Mm. And then, um, you know, so she couldn't tell us tons. I mean, unless she did a phenomenal job of like lying to us about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, 
So we were just excited because it was like that show in the first season was so freaking cool, right? And we were just like- I love that show, man. I really do. Yeah. And just get to be a part of it, you know? We were just like stoked for her, you know? Um, And especially like too with like, you know, the Elliot and like Claudia, like, you you know, they, they have like a tricky visa situation to stay here. So like they have to like book jobs just to be able to like stay in the country and like be in the game. So like- you know, it's just like anytime those guys get a job, there's just like a, a different level of like uh, excitement and like uh, elation that they have. You know, versus, <laughs> I can continue living. <laughs> totally. Right. And especially, you know, they're in like relationships and have friends and family, like friends and stuff now after living here for so long. And that's just got to be a, stra- a stress that like I couldn't even imagine, you know. Oh, I can imagine. Was there anything cut from this from these this, this game because I feel like there were supposed to be five raids but there's now only four so I'm wondering did that affect some of the scenes no um like I know that there was a changing of the guards I think that's public knowledge right a little bit like um uh the Taylor who worked on call the first one wasn't a part of the second one and he went off you know to do some other things um and so I, I know that like when we finished the first one there were conversations of like where the story was going to go and things like that that ultimately didn't get realized in a different direction uh kind of came into it um it, for like what the second game was going to be um and so honestly i i thought that I, I wouldn't have any participation in the second one for a while because it seemed like they went to a whole different continent ultimately mm. and like, explored like a whole nother um a, a, just a different chapter that wasn't something that was at least discussed with us in the first game um and so I think there were things written and prepared and um, that like ultimately didn't come into fruition, but um, you know, like it was never anything I was like resentful or upset about. Like, I just think that like, you know, in any of these like platforms, whether it's gaming or TV or film, like if you can get a job and work, just be grateful that like you were invited to the party (laughs) in any sort of respect, you know? So uh, nothing but smiles and and gratitude on, on my end, but yeah, as far as things cut, like I, I think there was like a bit of a change of a plan when like the um the 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 people that were like kind of leading the story kind of like changed. Yeah. Um, and so it was just a bit of a different direction. Yeah. What was your last day like shooting and and the death scene? Like after that death scene, you you know they say cut or wrap. How do you feel? Yeah, I mean, so the way it worked, uh, filming wise, was I had um. I, I shot my death scene, but I still had to come back for one other day. Uh, so oh, like, okay. I, it's like, there's like the elevators going up. Right. And like things are happening on the elevator and it's getting bought. And so like, we still had to shoot me in the elevator by myself doing that. And then there was like a couple of other smaller little dialogue parts that we had to shoot. Um, so really my last day wasn't the death scene. Um, but, but yeah, it was like, I had like a little bit of an emotional goodbye with the actors, but that's like a little bit more, um, familiar just because like you know when you go from job to job to job you're saying goodbye to you're always doing that yeah yeah a little bit different with this because you know i'd spent like four or five years with this group in particular but um but like again it's still like a muscle that's really fine-tuned uh because uh you know there's a good chance you'll run into each you know like elliot and um claudia are working together on the boys now you know so so that stuff happens right uh, but with like the crew and the people behind the camera, like that was a bit emotional for me, for sure. Just because like knowing um, I wouldn't be back on that stage probably, you know, ever again, because, you know, my characters died. And then that I, you know, and like 
a lot of the people that work behind the scenes uh, call dude they're, they're like there's no reason not to work there if you can for like a long long time so the likelihood i would see them on other projects are like very low you know because they're you know they've great gigs over there they're probably going to stay and so um so yeah that part was like not seeing graham and like jeff you know uh or brian for like a while like um that was emotional for me just because I, I loved working with them so much. And just the idea that it might be a long, long time before I ever cross paths with them professionally again, uh, that was definitely sad. Um, Cause it was just, I just felt like I was so lucky to be a part of such like rich storytelling and it made me a better actor. It made me a more thoughtful actor, it made me more thoughtful with how I think about characters, especially with like Brian constantly like wanting, like being there to like slow things down. If I'm like jumping over like important story points or story, important character kind of notes, like that stuff just inevitably like makes me a more thoughtful uh, actor and more thoughtful character builder, you know? So um, that part was like, yeah, like, you know, I, I definitely cried. I was like, I had tears in my eyes and I was like hugging everyone and we were taking photos and um, it, it was just such a privilege, truly. Do you ever think, you know, long after I'm gone, people might be playing this game and seeing my work. Do you ever think about that? Um, <laughs> yeah, I, um, I, I do they though? I could be I watching this interview they, as well. I mean, yeah, yeah, there's just so many new games always coming out, I guess. Yeah, like, but yeah, but come on, yeah, yeah quality yeah, wise, yeah, how many, yeah. how many of this quality are we talking about, you know? Right, right. I think that kind of thought really comes more in like um, there are people actively like playing it now. And like, I'm hoping kind of going back to like what made me fall in love with acting in the first place. Like, I really hope there's people out there that are like playing our game and like playing the campaign, getting invested in the characters, um, getting an appreciation for the three dimensionality of the complexity of some of these geopolitical issues that we're tackling. And then us putting a human element in there and getting people invested in like these human beings and realizing when they read something in the paper or they're watching like a new segment that like these very same types of human beings exist in these parts of the world. And like, you know, these conflicts that are going on and like, you know, these elections that we have, you know, and like the people that we ultimately elect in the power that make decisions that like affect how we're going to show up in some of these geopolitical landscapes. Um, those things matter. And, and, and it's important to appreciate um, like how sophisticated, uh, you know, some of the backstories are with like these real life things as it is in our game, you know? So that that's great, what great gets me, I guess. Yeah. yeah. I might give you a couple more. I know you got to run. Um, did yeah. they tell you anything about Makarov? Cause I know that is a tease for Makarov, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Um, they, no, not not much. Uh, they, yeah, it was mostly Brian. Just like, yeah, when you say like the real Russians, like <laughs> that, shit, that shit's really fucking bad. And I was like, oh, like real bad. He's like, so bad. And I was like, hey. Oh, okay. <laughs> so I was like, so it was just basically him saying like, yeah, you know, what's coming is so much worse than anything that they've handled so far. And Man. you're like the only one who has like an appreciation for it. And I was like, oh, okay. I can't imagine what they're gonna do with that character yeah. in the in this setting, because it was bad enough back in the day, but now yeah. with the realism and the groundedness that we're talking about, yeah, fuck, yeah the I'm scared, man. Yeah, <laughs> I'm yeah, yeah. Scared. Well, it's kind of like if you like are a yeah. fan of villains in like Batman the animated series, and then like Chris Nolan does his take on yeah. what those villains are, you're just like, oh. Fuck, like what is Bane gonna be like? <laughs> like 
Nolan, you know, like, and that it makes me think of it this way, where it's like they're just so much more hands on with the grittiness and the, the, this iteration of this mythology. And so, when it's like a character you know and you had an idea of bad that it was, like, you're like, oh my god, I can't even imagine how evil it's going to be in this iteration. Yeah, speaking of Nolan, are you hyped for Oppenheimer? I can't wait, man. Yeah, yeah, no, I, yeah, I, I, I want to see an IMAX. I want to see like the cast, like Gary Oldman's in it, like which I didn't even know until yesterday. Like all these small little parts, they have these like incredible actors like doing having doing their performances in for. So I'm excited about that. I also just love anything Chris Nolan, um, and so I'm just always excited to see any of his. And then Killian Murphy, like just like after falling in love with him in Peaky Blinders and like all of his work in film before that, I, I think it's such a beautiful marriage of like. Um, a great story and something that he already does really well. Like in Peaky Blinders, that like hauntedness that he has, right? Like oh. fits well with like what Oppenheimer must have like been going through, like making this like thing that's kind of like Pandora's box, right? It's like it, he thinks naively he's doing this like good for the world to end this war, not knowing that really it's going to be like us on the brink of destruction for humanity from that point on. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh, man. So you're Oppenheimer over Barbie, I'm guessing. Oh, I'm hoping to see both. <laughs> only, only because like Greta Gerwig, like I don't always love love her work, but like I definitely feel like there's a thoughtful mind and filmmaker behind like whatever she's trying to create, right? There's like a oh, yeah. complexity she's trying to always introduce and in, like kind of like a non-complex kind of dynamic that we usually take for granted. And so I just feel like, oh my gosh, there's a reason she picked this right and like there's she only knows how to be who she is as a filmmaker so i'm really curious what kind of commentary she's gonna like try to have using this as a vehicle you know i'm i'm, I'm excited yeah yeah and so you see just going back to the strike quickly you see all yeah. these big movies not coming out next year possibly do you see a lot like a bit of a barren wasteland there coming next like, year well the pipeline is so far in advance right so yeah like a buddy of mine, he works in post-production um, for sound editing. And, you know, like Eddie Murphy was up until 11 p.m. the night before the strike getting his ADR lines in, right, for like a Christmas movie that he did, right? And like they were, they had him up late as a motherfucker just trying to get his lines out because once that deadline happened, like he can't work anymore. So I think there's so much in the pipeline that you know, we're not going to really feel the effects, you know, through the end of this year, like all the movies are going to come out, the actors can't do press for them. Right. So yeah. stuff like that, or premieres and stuff, but like the things are still going to come out because ultimately those need to like start recouping on its revenue. Right. And so a uh, recouping on its, uh, on its, but won't that hurt the mark, the marketing plan and the overall revenue that it wouldn't they be better I, I, off pushing them? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, I mean, like, I think it definitely will. Like, I think if you just look at like, you know, with the flash and like Ezra Miller not doing any promo for it, right? Like, and he's the face, right? He is the title, like the title of the movie. And so, you know, I, I think definitely that stuff does hurt. Um, mm. But ultimately, like these slots are so competitive to try to get in on, right? These weekend slots that like, I don't see that they're going to push them as long as the movie can be in theaters and people, if anything, right now is like a real interesting opportunity for a marketing company to come up with like a creative way of promoting that maybe we haven't thought of before in the past that doesn't involve the actual characters in them. I'm not sure what that is. I'm not smart enough to know what that is, but I, but someone's probably going to have to come up with something if all these actors can't promote these commodities they've created. It's funny you say that. Uh, 
there was a Barbie billboard and all it was was just pink with the yeah. with the date. That's it. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's pretty smart. Right. Everyone knows exactly what it's yeah. referring to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's gonna have to be some sort of like creative creativity to like compensate for exactly what you're saying with like all these like wonderful talents not being able to contribute in any of the marketing, you know. I mean, maybe the directors are the ones that go on all the talk shows because they're the only ones that have contracts with the studios that ended up getting ratified. I I don't know, but but yeah, unfortunately from our standpoint, I think sadly it's gonna be um well, actually, the actors, if they're that, that's the thing I don't understand, because it's like if mm. if it's distributed on one of these studio platforms, then my understanding is the actors can't do promotion for it. Right. But if there was like yeah. another way it could be distributed and it was made in an independent kind of production, like those waivers that I was talking about, that'll go in next week, then maybe there's a way. But um, but yeah, for the bigger stuff that the studios have already made, like I'm not sure what they're going to do from a marketing promoting standpoint. Yeah. So what's your plan over the next few years? Have you got stuff in the pipeline? I know you're working on a few games as well, yeah? Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a, a couple games I'm not allowed to say anything about, unfortunately. Uh, but but that will uh, hopefully keep me pretty busy for the uh, remainder of the year. Is this mocap for this these games? Like you're you're an actual a, a decent role or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful, <laughs> beautiful. Yeah, no, that's all uh, I wanted to know. No. I'm yeah, no, I'm, I'm very lucky to, um, in the mocap world, I've, yeah, I've, um, like, yeah, man, even like I got to do my first no mocap movie like a few months back, um, nice. with, um, uh, yeah, it's called Noah's Belt, uh, which is in post production and being submitted to festivals now, I believe. But that was just cool because like all my mocap experience up until that point was just like very action oriented kind of things. And then this movie was just about two people in a prison cell up in space. And wow. um, it was just, yeah, it was just a lot of sitting and talking, you know, but, um, and then like, we had like our capsule built on the stage and it was like, we knew where the bathrooms and the rooms were. And it was like mostly just poles with sticky things, but we knew what everything was. And, you know, a big part of the story is us talking over a chess match, you know what I mean? And so it was nice to have such a grounded kind of like more subtle kind of style of acting that I was doing in the mocap suit, um, as opposed to in some of these like bigger games where everything's so epic and like action oriented. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a feature coming out. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. It's a little short. It's a, sh it's a short, um, short, was, yeah. you know, it was a short film, uh, but it was a mocap short film. Um, and then, yeah, it was only because of my experience in the video game world that I was able to like kind of cross over. Cause interestingly enough, like there's kind of like the, this big divide between mocap movies and mocap video games. Like um, they don't really like for avatar tap into the talent pool of like video games for actors really. Um, they keep those very separate. Um, I think the stunt departments are a little different. Like you'll find crossover, but as far as like the actors they use, like they why just, is that? I I don't know, and I can't like I've talked to agents about it. I've talked to managers about it, and I I can't quite like figure it out. Like there's been a couple Avatar movies, and like I can't get an audition for one of them. Um, I've auditioned for Avatar video games, right, which are shot yeah. cap, but I can't get for the life of me yeah uh, an audition so but yeah they're just like those casting networks um kind of just have their own people and they don't look at like any of the videos they won't even look at look at i you know even contemplate it no no like I, I can't even get an audition for four lines on ncis you know because i've gotten because of my experience in mocap. like you know i've done like feature film length content in motion capture right with huge budgets right but like you know the person who's casting 
you know, a procedural like an NCIS or a Grey's Anatomy like doesn't even look at that like real acting work. I'd I'd like, argue that your acting's better than anything that show's ever produced, but that's, that's just very, uh, very, look, that's just very my opinion. You know, it's you know, I I don't take it as an insecurity, but it's just like a weird yeah. thing. It's like the reality. You know, it also exists in other elements. Like I have friends who are editors in reality TV, right? Who are so yeah. desperate to get editing jobs and narrative. And they won't even get anyone to even look at them, right? Wow. While like in reality TV, especially the ones today, there is like a story and a lot of it is mapped out and like, you know, you know, breaking news. But, you know, a lot of that stuff is like pre-planned and like pre-written or at least like it's like a guideline of it is created. So, there's so even there's a stigma for them a little bit. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I think this is like, you know, ever present in all aspects of the industry. Like mm. stigma might not. I don't know if that's the right word, but yeah, okay. it's like they keep those things divided. And it's the same thing with like motion capture work and TV and then motion capture work for video games and motion capture work for um, film. Like when the um, the Last of Us uh, for the TV show, they used some of the actors that were in the video game. Like mm. that was a big fucking deal. Like that was that, cool. That Which was right. And like, and so many fans loved that they did that. But like that, that was like groundbreaking. Unheard of, yeah. Like totally, right? Like that just doesn't happen. And so, like, I hope that changes, you know, like, and there could be more of that stuff. Um, but, but yeah, like that stuff is just really unheard of. So, I, and I don't know why it is, to be honest. Have you have you heard any rumblings on a modern warfare movie, COD movie? Because I've heard yeah, about yeah. this COD movie for years, and yeah, nothing ever well, happened. Yeah, no, the producers have heard about it for years too. Uh, <laughs> It's just like one of those things that like every once in a while, like the, the money people seem to like come down and like, you know, kind of broach <laughs> the topic and then the creatives like will pitch like a story or an idea that they have for it. And then it kind of like doesn't necessarily go anywhere, but it's something that's like flirted with from my understanding, like every once in a long while. Um, but Why I think don't you think it hasn't, why do you think it hasn't gotten off the ground? Well, I, I think ultimately like the proofs in the pudding as far as um, the market for it with like past, uh, you know, uh, iterations, right? Like if you look at Assassin's Creed, like that right, was- Right, right. That didn't go, you know- that So was they're worried money-wise. Totally, you know, and like, uh. and it's already such a good thing. Like why do anything that could tarnish it, right? Like, uh. Uh, I don't know if there's any reporting on like the revenue for the Assassin's Creed games going down, because of a well, they actually had a record sales their last game, but so they yeah. should be fine then. Yeah. <laughs> then, yeah, but like exactly right. So, so th there shouldn't be any like fear that it could like hurt the video game. But I guess like from their standpoint, it's just like when a crash Assassin's Creed didn't do so great. Tomb Raider, the last one, wasn't a financial success, right? Um, Halo, the TV show, was very much mixed reviews, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, um, yeah, on Paramount. Um, so like, it just seems like it's something, but like, you know, The Last of Us, uh, that was like a, that was very different, obviously. Like it was so critically acclaimed and so well done and well executed. So I'm hoping that has provided maybe some sort of blueprint that, you know, other games can now take and hopefully do it for their adaptations. So we'll that see. could work, Modern Warfare TV show. I think that could work yeah, pretty I mean, nice. It's all over the world, right? Mm -hmm. And so there's such like fertile ground to have so many different stories you know and kind of like the walking dead in that way right like you've taken this scenario and like you've taken different regions of the world and created different storylines and they all have some connected tissue to each other i don't see why call of duty couldn't have their like version of that and then like you know with like how people use like multiverse things like the world war ii call of duty game could somehow maybe like have like some mm. 
it have you know there's so you know because the time periods are played with 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 modern warfare and then there was like the um soviet union one like i forget what the name of that one was called that came out the modern what which one was that the call of duty i think it started with a v it wasn't uh black ops cold war so oh, was that was? yeah so yeah there's all these time periods time periods it kind of plays with and um you know there'd be like it's so rich for storytelling i don't see why not it's just well that's the, the thing you you might come back in a flashback so don't yeah you never know you never hey, know. Hey, I'll always be happy to. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, they they always say that too. Like, there's always like possibility of like flashbacks, and then like um, Graham always jokes one of the producers that like, hey, there's zombies in this game. You could come back as a zombie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so yeah. you never know. Right? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I I only have like the best of memories of my experience with all those guys, and um, yeah, nothing but smiles when I think back on it. All right, last one, man. Top four Mount Rushmore of films give me a top four sure sure um oh but uh <laughs> children of men i love so yeah. much Ooh. i just thought like the scenario that it presents in the beginning of like if this happened and the survival of the human race was a question like how would we all you know walking dead has some elements thematically of that right um but like how would we all like respond as far as would we come together and support each other or would we be like you know nihilistic and you know at each other's throats and then the filmmaking of that is so brilliant and clive owen i just love michael kane i love uh julianne moore is unbelievable and then that car shot like as the cars oh. go is just you're you, it's 10 just out of hard 10. To, yeah, yeah like i just don't know how they even did that to be honest you know um uh what's another one i remember um I think it's blue is the warmest color. That blue French is film. the warmest color. I don't think I've heard of that one. Yeah, 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 it was a French film. Now I'm getting self conscious that I said the wrong. No, no, it is the right. It's the it's the right. Yeah, yeah, blue yeah, is yeah. The I just I haven't seen it. Yeah. Um. Yeah, it's this beautiful French film. Um. It's just I don't know if ever in the history of cinema I've wanted two people to be with each other so bad over the course of a movie. Wow. Where I'm just like, please end up together, please end up, but you know, they can't. Um, and it's just Leah Sadu. That's like, that was her breakout role. The French actress who's in like all the bond movies and stuff. she was in a game recently too. Yeah. Was she really, which one? Yeah. Death Stranding. It's called. Oh, dope. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Check it really out. It. Um, but yeah, man, she, uh, that was another one I loved. Um, have you seen Victoria? It's Victoria. Uh, it's uh, it's uh, the whole movie's in one take. It's like this two-hour movie, all shot in one take, no hidden cuts. Wow! And um, what's cool about it? It's technically a foreign film, but it's thriller. Fallen. What's up? Yeah, Crime yeah, thriller. Totally, yeah. There's like gunshots. There's a bank robbery. There's like shit. I gotta check this out. Yeah, it's on. It took him three tries to do it. They got it on the third try, and then wow. crazy, the filming starts like at like two, three in the morning, I guess. And then it ends, the movie ends around 4.35 in the morning as the sun's coming up. So you also get like these two different, like in the beginning of the movie, it's completely pitch black, dark outside. And then by the end, the sun's coming up, which is nuts. And then- um, Wow. It's- no, Hold it's, on, no hidden cuts, did you say? No hidden cuts. What? Man. Yeah, they shot it in Berlin. And then it's all in English because it's about a girl who's like doing like a, a semester abroad in Berlin and she's from Spain and she speaks English. And then the kids in Berlin that she gets into trouble with and goes on this crazy um, kind of adventure with, they're all German, but they also speak English. So the whole movies is like this broken English with one another the whole time. Imagine the, imagine the pressure 
of you're you're oh. at the end and you can't stuff up. Oh my goodness, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Could um, you? But, uh, but yeah, and like there's all these scenes like going up steps, coming down steps, like th- yeah, that 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 I I think is a, a gorgeous film. Um, that's three. Um, don't say uh, the Godfather either. No, no, I mean I love those movies. <laughs> don't get wrong. Yeah, yeah no. but, uh, but yeah, a, a dangerous method. I thought I really that Cronenberg. Oh movie. yeah. Um, I just love the the battle of like those philosophies between Jung and Freud, but also just like, uh, you know, I, I think it's something very human nature as we get like older and um, it, it, you know, into our like 60s and 70s and our last chapter of our life, I should say, your legacy and how you're going to be remembered becomes of so much importance, uh, almost at the detriment of principle sometimes, right? And I feel that that's like very much what uh, Freud was kind of going through. And even though he agreed with like Jung, as far as like the direction that he like, you know, some most of the direction that he wanted um, uh, psychology to be able to like go to mm. and talk therapy, um, he felt that what he was doing was too much too fast and would ultimately destroy the movement, even though by based off of principle, he didn't completely disagree with him. And so I think the warring and the philosophies, but also like just like, you know, the the old school going out and the new school coming in and how those things often butt heads. I thought that was beautifully told. Um yeah. If I watch those four, I might be in a bit of an interesting state of mind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah <laughs> might yeah, need a comedy yeah. after. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, I like comedies too. I swear, you know, like I <laughs> and just like the other guys is probably one of my favorite comedies ever. The yeah, ran it out with the other guys. Yeah, yeah Will Ferrell. Yeah. <laughs> Michael Keaton has some great cameos in that. Uh, no, that's that's a great fall, man. I have to check out the those middle two. I haven't Victoria, seen Victoria, especially yeah. like a like 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 cool filmmaking. I think you'll dig it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, man, for taking the time today. Um, it's been a real pleasure. And uh, I can't wait to see uh, those future games and have you back on. Thanks, man. Yeah, I appreciate you having me in mind and getting me, uh, getting me on here to be able to talk about this. I, it was a real, one of the biggest joys in my uh, professional life. So I, I love talking about that time period for sure. Thank you, man. Is there anything you wanted to say to the Call of Duty fans that have loved your work um, over the last five or six years? Yeah. Um, th- thank you. I, I mean, like when I looked online and I ever looked up videos of uh, people commenting on the game and commenting on the characters and like commenting on me specifically, like I only found like the most positive of things, like maybe there are negative things out there, but like I only got to see uh, positive stuff, which, you know, it, it is uh, a change for me because I've definitely <laughs> seen some like with the films I've done that have been subpar, some of them. Uh, some pretty brutal comments, man. And so, what do they like, say? Hold on, <laughs> oh, dude, just like ripping apart. Like you know, a lot, a lot of my movies are, are like these, like lifetime kind of like rip from the headlines, like over dramatization kind of films. And you know, you're not. You, there's a level of work that you're kind of expected to do for those things, and like a style of acting. I would go. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're just getting ripped to fucking shreds. <laughs> um, you know, or like sometimes you get ripped to shreds for just like. Doing character choices that like were on the script and you were supposed to do, you know, but like maybe it wasn't You've got no choice. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And so, but like I felt with Call of Duty, um, and especially specifically with Hadir, like it was only the most complimentary thing said. And I know that like for a lot of people that play the game, um, 
Al Assad and like, you know, his history as a character in the previous game and stuff like that. And and them knowing about who he was and where he came from. There was a um the, the, not a loyalty, but maybe just like a um, an expectation that they had of who that character was supposed to be and for the fans to always be positive and make it seem to me that they felt like the that Hadir was in good hands with me uh you know show like representing him um was a really humbling and 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 uh and I'm really grateful that it had the response that it did thank you man thank you again um before I let you go is there anything Hadir can say to Dan to wrap this one up oh uh, <laughs> uh thank you very much for having me <laughs> thank you man. thank you man and you don't have social media but no. yeah just leave the comments on this video and sure, sure, you'll yeah. look at them at, at some point well, yeah. yeah 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 no if i'm feeling low i'll come on this one specifically and <laughs> do some things that cheer 